0: And welcome. It's good to see you here tonight. We are going to uh, conclude our story of Joseph. We already looked at his death. And so we're going to go back and just summarize the general teaching and purpose in the narration of Joseph's life. So the theme is... The story of Joseph is a revelation of God's sovereign care for his people and his rule over the world. The story of Joseph is much bigger than God's working in the lives of Joseph and his brothers. Genesis 45, 7 and 8, where Joseph said to his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Those verses depict for us the overarching view of the purpose of God in all that transpired in Joseph's life. In short, these two verses tell us what is the import of the Joseph narrative. The story of Joseph is an integral part of redemptive history. God is advancing his redemptive work, which will culminate in the Lord's return and the creation of a new heaven and new earth. Uh, There are those that would see history as secular, uh, that history just repeats itself but we are on a trajectory uh, that we are on a timeline we see a progression that takes place from creation and then in particular the creation of Adam and Eve and their fall and the promise that comes to them that uh, from their descendants will come one Who will bruise the head of the serpent. That's Jesus. Referring to the activity. Of the evil one. And then we have the cross. And then we're going to have. Ultimately the Lord's return. And the establishment of his. Rule and kingdom. And new heaven and new earth. And everything is moving. To that ultimate. And final conclusion. This new heaven. And new earth. And. As you put Joseph in this timeline, it's extremely important. So there is more going on in this passage than merely providing moralistic lessons for us to live by. There is more in this narrative than how are we to respond to those who mistreat us. For example, Joseph forgave people and so should we. Uh, That is an extremely simplistic approach to the scriptures. That has some value, but quite frankly, limited value. There are a lot bigger issues than that. However, the moralistic teaching is also an integral part of redemptive history. You see, it mattered that Joseph forgave people. mattered in ways that he could not have understood at the time. Although I believe he understood it in part. Because if you look at the verses on top. Genesis 45 and 7. <coughs> excuse me. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. And to keep you alive by great deliverance. Uh, evidently that had been revealed to Joseph in his many dreams and revelations. That God's purpose for Joseph was to go before his brothers into the land of Egypt in order to store up this food so that his brothers would survive and ultimately the remnant of Israel would survive. And so, knowing that that is God's purpose, it becomes an integral part to redemptive history that he didn't take vengeance on his brothers, that he didn't kill them, When he had the opportunity to do so. And if you remember the story. Right up until the time that Jacob dies. They are afraid that their brother is going to do just that. They are afraid that Joseph is going to ultimately hold them accountable for what they have done. And put them to death. But Joseph cannot put them to death. Because it is essential that they live. And have offspring. And the Messiah is going to come. From that offspring. So that there is rhyme or reason. If you will. To the uh, character. That is supposed to be manifest. So there is a greater lesson. As to why the proper response. Of forgiving is so important. It affects the whole world. We need to see. That the moral decisions that we make day in and day out matter. Matter. And matter greatly. Not just for our happiness. Not just for our peace of mind. Not just for our own personal relationship to Jesus Christ. It's not all about us. But our integrity matters because it's going to affect God's redemptive history. Your forgiving people that offend you are essential to their experiencing the forgiveness of God. That you're able to take the gospel to them. That you don't turn them off. That you don't in any way undermine the activity and work of the Holy Spirit. We bear responsibility In these things. And as we live righteous and holy lives, it advances the kingdom. The life that you lead will affect your children. And the life that you will lead will affect your grandchildren and your great grandchildren. The choices you make matter. transitional statement God was working out his purpose for the entire world through Joseph's life The overall purpose of the narrative is to see how the events associated with Joseph's life are integral to redemptive history So we need to understand the meta narrative of redemptive history This is the lesson of which we must not lose sight Redemptive history is the mighty river that flows through the Bible's narratives Our individual life is one of the streams that flow into the great river of redemptive history. Uh, I don't know how you like to visualize things. Uh, I grew up diagramming sentences. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, At the time, I can remember, I was in sixth grade. And I had a teacher that was, that was their last year. They were retiring after the end of that school year. And they just came out with new math books. It was called Modern Math. Okay, and uh, Showing my age here. But he made no bones about it that he wasn't about to learn this math. And uh, he wasn't too interested in teaching social studies. The guy loved the English. And so what we did for the most part of every day was diagram sentences. I got so tired and fed up of diagramming sentences, but today I'm so glad that I know how to diagram sentences and able to, to uh, deal with English grammar in that way. Uh, but the point is, if you can think of a diagram or if you can think of a flow chart or whatever it is, think of this line of redemptive history. This is God saving his people. And you can draw your little line to that river that feeds into that river that causes that river to continue to flow forward. God is using us as we teach Sunday school, as you witness at work. It's all contributing to the overall greater purpose of God. So that we need to realize that God is at work, not only in our own individual lives, but also in the lives of others. That together, our lives streams the river of God's redemptive plan. That's why God established a church. And it's viewed in two ways in the scripture. The church, which is an organization. And the body of Christ, which is uh, the uh, fellowship that we enjoy as the people of God. And we can't worship in isolation. We can't fulfill all the one another passages in the New Testament by worshiping in isolation. We can't achieve... God's purpose for our lives in our own personal quiet time. God's purpose for our lives involves other people. And we need to use our gifts. We need to use our abilities collectively so that together they flow into the Bible Fellowship Church. And the Bible Fellowship Church flows into this Line of redemptive history. We are celebrating a hundred years. It's been pretty apparent. That we're doing that. And as you look back. Over the hundred years. You can see. Figures. People. That have been very integral. To the advancement. Of this church. Which has been integral. To the advancement. Of the gospel. As you think about. People that have gone forth from this congregation that are involved in missions, they're involved in church planning, they're involved in, quote, full time ministry, and then the, the many, many people that are daily bearing witness for Jesus Christ. So we need to see how history is flowing to a climax. That river of redemptive history flows into the great sea of Christ's return and the creation of new heaven and new earth. Then come back to the moralistic teaching. So that Joseph's integrity mattered. Not just for personal fulfillment or happiness or even personal blessing. It mattered to the whole plan of God. It fed in a dramatic way the river of redemptive history. So that we find in the New Testament that we are to forgive others even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. That that chain of events needs to take place. So, we'll look at the meta narrative, which is the, the main story. God's purposes are being achieved in Joseph's life and his wife and his sons. It's not just about Joseph and his immediate family. God's purposes are being achieved in the lives of his brothers and ultimately the nation of Israel. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. That explains what is happening. Out of that remnant will ultimately come the Messiah. The Messiah, Jesus, will not come from Joseph's descendants, but from the tribe of Judah. And it's not just about Joseph, his father, and his brothers, although it is about Joseph, his father, and his brothers. You see, you can't remove them from the story. They are integral to the story. God is using these human beings. But these human beings, it's more than just about them and their happiness. And so there's such a temptation in modern evangelicalism, to think only about one's personal relationship to Jesus Christ. And somehow, we have gotten to understand that the primary purpose of God is to make me happy. And when I'm not happy, what in the world is going wrong? I must be out of the will of God. I must have done something to make God angry if I'm not happy. Well, I hope that you've gotten a sense, as you read through Joseph's life, he had very few happy days. At the end, I think things turned out pretty well. But it isn't particularly happy sitting in prison. It isn't particularly happy being sold into slavery. It isn't particularly happy to be forgotten while in prison. There were a lot of hard and difficult days for Joseph. Because it wasn't all about making Joseph happy. And our salvation is not all about God making us happy. It's God using us to advance his purpose and his kingdom. So, see, God's purposes are being achieved for the nation of Israel. The narrative also serves to give us an understanding of how the Israelites came to dwell in Egypt... Fulfilling God's purpose in the narrative of redemptive history. And God said to Abram, Know for a certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. This is referring to the time in which the children of Israel are in bondage in Egypt. This narrative tells us how they got there. And they got there by the hand of God. They got there by the sovereign working of God. God wanted this to happen. God said it would happen. And it did happen. But it's not just about the nation of Israel. And this can easily be overlooked in the narrative. God's purposes are being achieved for Egypt. God is preserving the lives of the Egyptians. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were uniquely blessed by God in this particular period of time. They were given opportunities that the nations round about them didn't enjoy. When you get to the New Testament, the question is asked, what advantage then has the Jew? And the answer comes, much in every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. The great advantage that the Jews had was they had the word of God. The great advantage that Egypt had is they had Joseph and his revelations. And so God was at work in the nation of Egypt. And God is also going to bring judgment upon the Egyptians. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. All the way back in Genesis chapter 15. So the narrative provides us an understanding why judgment has come upon the Egyptians. They failed to trust in the God who had provided for them. And just to recap, that you remember, <coughs> when we were going through the narrative, that the Egyptians should have been putting aside food during those seven years of plenty because they knew of the revelation. And Joseph was able to put aside enough food to feed the entire world. Certainly, they could have put aside enough food. To feed their family. But they did not. They didn't trust in God. However. When it comes time for the Exodus. 400 years later. There is a mixed multitude. The scripture says. That goes out of Egypt. With the children of Israel. So though we don't know their names. And we don't know the particular occasions. Occasions. That they came to exercise faith in God. Yet there are a group of people. A large group of people. That identify with Jehovah. And choose to leave Egypt. And travel with the Israelites. And become part of that community. These are people in whom God has worked. So it's about them. As well, for God was preserving many people alive. And then lastly, God's purposes are being achieved for the entire world. God is not merely sparing the Israelites or even the Israelites and the Egyptians, but the Israelites, the Egyptians, and the entire world. Genesis 50 20. To preserve many people alive. The story of Joseph has tremendous ramifications for. The entire world God's power would be proclaimed throughout the entire world if God eventually deals with Pharaoh, Romans 9:17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, "For this very purpose, I raised you up. Here again, a sovereign God. God takes responsibility for Pharaoh. God raised him up. God established him. God put him in that place of leadership in Egypt. To demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. And so, God's name is going to be proclaimed throughout the entire earth as a result of the exodus. You have in Joshua chapter 2 verse 10 the testimony of Rahab the harlot. When the the spies come in uh, to Rahab's house, she greets them and says this. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. We heard about what has happened. Just what God said would take place in the book of Romans. We heard what God did and our hearts melted. God's provision is first proclaimed throughout the whole earth in God's dealing with this present Pharaoh. Genesis forty-one fifty-six, When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth. So we're given a microcosm. We're, we're given a very, very small view of what's taking place at this time. We're looking at Joseph's family, and how they came from the promised land down into Egypt. But, notice verse 56, Then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt, and the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Everywhere. All the surrounding nations. None of that is depicted in the story. I can't give you names. I can give you the names of Joseph's brothers. I can't give you dates. I can't tell you when that happened in connection with Joseph's life. All I know is that that's included. And it's very significant. It's a part of the proclamation of the goodness and grace of God that he is feeding. The entire world out of what he is doing in the life of Joseph. He is reaching an entire world. And judgment is going to come because most of them reject the worship of God. Two. So then judgment will come. The story of Joseph is a revelation of God's sovereign care for His people and His rule over the world. Joseph recognizes God's activity in all that has befallen him. Verse seven: God has sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me, but God. I, I, I was tempted. I was really tempted to go into a long diatribe on God's sovereignty and human responsibility and resolve all those issues for you. I say that facetiously. There's a great mystery to God's sovereignty and human responsibility. But I would point out what we learned from this particular section is this. God sent me before you Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here. They bore responsibility. They bore responsibility. You get to Genesis chapter 50, and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So, he's not negating what they did. But understand that what is happening is not simply happening by the permissive will of God. Some people's view of God's sovereignty is that that he stands back and kind of watches what's going on and every once in a while steps in and tweaks what's going on and then steps back again. And uh, basically it's, it's, it's man governing this earth with God tweaking it every now and again when it's getting too far out of bounds. So then he steps in. But Joseph doesn't say that you meant it for evil, and God allowed this so that evil would so that good would come out of it. It actually has God orchestrating this. He's saying God did this, not just that He allowed it, but He actually brought it to pass. And I know you get into the questions then: Does God uh, ordain evil, and, and all these other things? But before you go into all the philosophical issues and problems, stay close to the text and just realize that this is attributing the work to God. This was God's plan. This is what God was doing. This was God's activity. I'll say a little bit about that as we move on. Joseph recognizes God's activity in his promotion. He has made me in his relationship to Pharaoh. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. God promoted Joseph in his relationship to Pharaoh's advisors. It was not you who sent me. And the Lord has made me a father of Pharaoh and Lord of all his household. And it was not you who sent me. But it was God who made me over all the land of Egypt. And it wasn't just Pharaoh. It isn't just Pharaoh. You see, God is at work in both the lives of the believing and unbelieving to accomplish his end. So God is not ashamed to say in the book of Romans, I raised Pharaoh up. This Pharaoh that we're talking about in Romans is the Pharaoh under which Moses goes and says, let my people go and they won't go. God says, I placed him there for the very reason that he would not let the people go. Two, Joseph recognizes that God had promoted Joseph in order to fulfill God's plan for the rest of the world. To preserve for you a remnant in the earth. And then b another integral part of the story that's easily overlooked, is that Joseph also recognizes that God's purpose is to keep them alive in a most unusual fashion. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and keep you alive by a great deliverance. By an incredible deliverance. By an extremely unusual deliverance. That he's going to cause this famine To come over all the earth and make it that there's just going to be food in the land of Egypt so that you would learn about God's ability to deliver. God's ability to deliver. This great deliverance is to be illustrative of the redemptive work of God in general. We have a great need need, and God is able to grant a great deliverance. I'll say more about that in just a moment. Joseph also recognized God's sovereignty in overcoming the sinful acts of mankind in order to achieve his purposes. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Three. Note how in the life of Joseph we have the ongoing example of God using the acts of sinful men to accomplish his purpose and to achieve a great deliverance. God uses the acts of sinful men to achieve his purpose. Acts 2.23 referring to Jesus. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. The people that put Jesus to death were not trying to accomplish the will of God. Even Satan was involved in that as I mentioned this morning. He was trying to cause Jesus' death. Not to bring about salvation for mankind. He was trying to de- destroy Jesus Christ. The religious leaders. They wanted to put Christ to death. Because they're of envy. Pilate was wanting to put Christ to death. So that he could maintain his power. And not be removed from authority by the Roman government. There were many, many different motivations. But yet a sovereign God. Was achieving his purpose and his will. And he brings about a great deliverance, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. So we come to one of the great verses in the Word of God God uses the sinful acts of men in our lives to achieve his purpose. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Two key thoughts. God has a purpose. God has a purpose. God has a purpose for you. And God has a purpose for me. And that purpose for you and me also feeds a much larger purpose. The purpose of redemptive history. And you and I both play a part in this overall purpose of God. And we can have complete assurance that everything will work together to accomplish that purpose for your life and my life. And in redemptive history. That is supposed to be a source of incredible solace, comfort, encouragement. The next time you are Tempted to say, why has this happened to me? The answer is, in order to fulfill the purpose of God. You said, I wish I would know a little more clearly. Like, Joseph knew it was to save the lives of his brothers. But we don't. But we do know. But we do know. That God orchestrates everything in our lives. And what we do know, and should bring us great solace, is we may have enemies. We may have people that don't like us. Perhaps for good reasons, perhaps for wrong reasons. We have people that want to do us harm. There are people out there that, that want to kill Christians. There are all kinds of things, and, and some Christians, in fact, do die. At the hands. But I can tell you this, that when that happens, it's the will of God. Man cannot overcome the will of God. And I'll even go a step further and say, this isn't just about what God allows. This is about what God's bringing to pass. This is actually the activity of God. One thing I will say about the uh, intertwining of God's sovereignty and human responsibility it becomes clear in the life of Job, among other examples. But Satan is very limited in what he's able to do and he has to ask God for permission to uh, do anything to really harm Job and God grants him that permission. Uh, God allows him to touch Job but he puts a limit and says you can't take his life. There's a lot of things you can do but you can't take Job's life. He is able to take the lives of his sons and daughter, but he's not able to take Job's life. He puts a limit. They're the Chaldeans that come up and and steal the cattle. But God is not afraid to take responsibility for what's happening in Joseph's life. Uh, We have a sovereign God who is working all things, all things, without exception, together to work out his sovereign plan. God is setting out to accomplish a great deliverance for us and all the rest of the elect. There are great deliverances in the flow of redemptive history. Noah and the ark. An incredible deliverance. Floods, 40 days, 40 nights. Destroying everything, but Noah's life is preserved. Children of Israel. Land of Egypt. Darkness upon the face of the earth. But in their huts they have light. Angel death passes over. The firstborn is killed. But not in the homes of the Israelites. Who put on the post the blood of the Passover lamb. There is the parting of the Red Sea. There is great deliverance after great deliverance after great deliverance. The story of Meshach. Shadrach and Abednego and the fiery furnace. You can think of them story after story after story of God's ability to deliver his people from the ravages of those round about them. God is able to deliver. So Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And you can think of all those examples in the word of God. Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him that loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, Nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think of the timeline. And we're marching towards an end. And that end is the new heaven and new earth. And every one of us in this room that knows the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, is going to be resurrected. And partake in the greatest deliverance that mankind has ever known. There will be no more tears, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain. You know the, the verses in Revelation. It will be a utopia on earth. That's our end. That's where we are going. And God gives us story after story after story To show us he can do it. He can do it. And the greatest story is Jesus who comes forth bodily from the dead. To show us he can do it. And we too are going to come forth bodily from the dead. There is more to this life than this life. In fact, this life is a microcosm. 70 years, Scripture gives us, or 70 years plus 10 with hardship and difficulty. A lot of people live by 80. And we think they've lived to a ripe old age. My, my aunt was, I think, 99, one was, and the other was 98, or 98 and 97. I don't remember when they died. They were old by human standards. But we're talking about Eternity. We're talking about time never ending. That is where all this is heading. And we need to live in light of that great truth. We need to see the events of our lives flowing in the river of redemptive history. Our lives matter in the work of God. The purpose of disclosing the providence of God to Joseph's brothers. Why did he say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good? Five reasons. first, To give praise for the manner in which all things have turned out. To give God praise. This isn't just a a twist of irony. This isn't just a... Who would have thought it? Man, man, wow. What a a lucky chain of events. Who would have ever thought that we would sell him into bondage and and then Potiphar's going to buy him and then... Potiphar's wife is going to falsely accuse him, and he's going to land up in prison. And then he's going to be in prison, and then he's going to interpret these dreams, and then they're going to forget about him. And then they're going to remember, oh, yes, there was Joseph over there who can interpret dreams when Pharaoh has a dream. And so Joseph interprets his dream, and, and now you know, he's promoted and he becomes like a father to Pharaoh. Who would have thought it? What a strange order of events! What an incredible coincidence. There's no coincidence here. There's no good fortune. There's no luck. We have to see the events of our lives as a matter of God's grace. You haven't been lucky. You've been blessed in the way in which things have turned out in your life. Many things which... You, at the time, could not see what God was doing. You didn't understand why some of these things were happening. And then, as you look back, you can say, Aha! Now I understand. Now I realize. That is the grace of God. And He's active in every one of our lives. Achieving His purpose and end. B To recognize a purpose in the way that all things have turned out. There is a reason. And we don't know Always what that reason is. But we do know enough. To be able to say two things about the reason. One. According to Romans chapter 8. Is to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. To give us an opportunity to be Christ like. To respond to the situation. The way in which Christ would respond to it. So he's giving us an opportunity. To have a testimony. To ha- be a living example. Of. Of likeness. And secondly we do know that it fits into the overarching purpose of redemptive history meaning that somehow it affects the salvation of someone else. Paul writes and says that he endures affliction, hardship and all these things for the sake of the elect that what we are going through is part of our testimony of the grace and goodness of God that leads others to place faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My dad, you've heard me tell the story, when he was 10 years old, was farmed out by his family. It was a large family, it was in the Depression era, they didn't have food. He was one of the youngest. So, they just sent him to live with somebody else. At the time, it seemed like a travesty. At the time, it seemed like, woe is me. How sad to think of this little boy being wrenched from his family, from his brothers, his siblings. Nobody else in his family of ten was farmed out. Just him. Just him. But you know who took them? A believing couple. That were not able to have any children. But needed somebody to work on the farm. So they took him in. Because, can I say, God caused them to be barren? In his sovereign will. And they took my dad in and they presented the gospel to him. And my dad, the only believing one in that family of ten, trusted in Jesus Christ. And then was concerned about how I would be reared and trust in Jesus Christ. It is not a stretch. And I believe with all my heart that was a sovereign God at work orchestrating all these events in order to achieve his redemptive plan. Sometimes it's pretty easy to trace the dots. Sometimes it's pretty difficult to trace the dots. But you may not even know about how God is using your life in the life of somebody in this church that's just observing you, looking at you, watching you, responding to you. See to take solace in the way that all things turn out. I'm sorry, I'm out of time. Uh, to learn a lesson in the way that all things turn out. To have a future confidence in the way that all things will turn out. We're going to learn from these stories and apply them to the future. We know the end, and the end is certain. We know that there's going to be a new heaven, new earth. We, we, we know the end of the story. We get to read the book of Revelation. F, we need to see our lives as the living streams that are flowing into the redemptive work of God. Conclusion, I don't have time for this, but in the book of Acts, chapter 7, it's a fascinating narrative on which um, Stephen, on trial, traces the history of Israel. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, right up until Jesus Christ. He shows the river running through and how all this is leading to Christ. And our lives are part of the river flowing and leading to the final return of the Lord Jesus Christ, for when is he going to return, when the last elect person is saved? Then he's coming back. And we're all apart. That great event of the Lord's return. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your grace and goodness in our lives. Help us as we seek to bring you glory. Uh, Lord, give us confidence confidence in your sovereignty. Lord, may we recognize that you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you do raise up kings, you do remove kings, you do control the waters. Lord, There is so much in the news. And nobody is talking about what you are doing as far as the section of news is concerned. But Lord, may we not lose sight of it. May it comfort us. May we realize that this world is not just some kind of chaos in which things are randomly happening over which no one has any control. There's a measure to the truth that No one has any control, humanly speaking. But we are thankful that God, you are in control. And you are working all things together to achieve your ultimate and final purpose in this world. And may we see the simple daily events of our lives as being a part of that greater purpose. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.